Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Recently, I've been getting a lot of questions about beliefs. Specifically, is it possible that we have beliefs that we're not even fully aware of, that are at work and are influencing our choices, influencing our thoughts, and influencing our feelings? One listener was concerned that perhaps she had subconscious beliefs that were causing her to make bad decisions when it came to dating. And I shared my thoughts on this in a private Q&A episode just for my email list, but everyone is welcome to join my email list. So if you haven't heard that episode and heard my answer as to how do we deal with, if we do have subconscious beliefs and they're out of our awareness, what do we do? So if you're interested in what I had to say about that, head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com. Go to the subscribe page and join the Love and Life family, and you can listen to that episode if that interests you. So what happened was my brother gets my email, and he's also a therapist, and he said, it's so interesting that you were dealing with the question of subconscious beliefs because I've been dealing so much with unconscious beliefs with the couples I work with. And I thought, this is a great opportunity. I've been wanting to have you on the podcast anyway, but why don't we talk about this? Because even in that Q&A episode, I was just basically skimming the surface. There's so much more to delve into when it comes to beliefs and how they, even the ones we know about, are actively influencing our thoughts and our feelings and what we can do about them if we believe that they are not serving us. So today, my brother and I are going to talk shop about some of our favorite topics, therapy, couples counseling, beliefs, love, dating, relationships, marriage, all the good stuff. So now I'm pleased to introduce you to my brother, Elliot Anderson. Elliot J. Anderson holds a master's in counseling psychology and has worked as a psychotherapist for over 30 years. His areas of expertise include marital therapy, young adult individuation and identity development, and crisis intervention. Over his career, Elliot has served as the wellness director at Judson University, crisis intervention specialist at Wheaton Youth Outreach, while also maintaining a private psychotherapy practice. As an ordained minister, Elliot's faith provides a foundation of hope, healing, and expectation of transformational growth within the therapeutic setting. So I'm excited today to bring on a guest who I've been wanting to have appear on Love & Life for a long time. He is an expert in so many realms of counseling and therapy and psychology, and he also happens to be my big brother. So Elliot, welcome to the program. Thanks, Karen. I've heard a lot about you. (laughs) Yeah, most of it's pretty good. Yeah. Glad to be on the show. Well, this, that's nicer than it used to be when we were growing up. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so let's get into, I don't know that my listeners know that we both have the same background essentially in terms of psychology and being therapists. 
And we come at the the realm of couples counseling in particular from a little bit different vantage point because my listeners know that I was in the trenches of the dating world for 27 years and did not get married until I was 42. You, on the other hand, had the exact opposite experience, had some significant relationships in your teenage years and into college. But then also right at the end of college, right after grad, you got married to the love of your life and my darling, wonderful sister-in-law, Angie. Thirty years ago. Oh, please stop with the numbers. <laughs> please stop. I like my living in denial. <laughs> but so when we talk about like anything like siblings, we're pretty classic in that way. We like to spar and we like to razz each other and we both assume we're right all the time. And so when we talk about relationships in particular, we really come from a different vantage point. And when we talked recently about some of the things I'm sharing on the podcast, and I always wanted to have you come because I do think it's important to have that other perspective of marrying young, as opposed to me, we both have strong marriages and they're very different. And you currently and have for like you said, many, many years, counseled a lot of couples. You Mm -hmm. are a specialist in terms of premarital and also couples therapy. And so that wealth of expertise is something I've been wanting to have my listeners be able to partake in. And so thanks again for joining me. And let's talk a a little bit about, specifically, we're talking about beliefs. And I had had a question from a listener who was fearful that she had some subconscious beliefs that she was carrying around with her throughout her dating experiences that might be sabotaging her chances of finding a strong, solid, mutually beneficial and rewarding relationship. And you said, oh my gosh, that is something I'm dealing with all the time with the couples I'm seeing. Yeah. And in particular, uh, I think to go back to a little bit about what you expressed about our differences in our marital experiences and on topic for another show, but we'll tease listeners right now is that... (laughs) I believe in the identity formation of a couple that can happen within the relationship first. Right. I was not a man when I married Angie. Well, you were 22, so yeah. it's kind of uh, rough. I was barely 22. So yeah, right. She, I was able to formulate an individual identity and a marital identity at the same time. You and I both know that's not always the healthiest way to do it. Right. And research shows it's not. But it did work for me, and it does work for some of the couples I work with. Your identity was completely formed. Dan's was completely formed. Then you guys were able to merge it in a beautiful, transformational way. So that's just a little teaser for that once you brought that up. I like that. Teasers for the next episode. (laughs) That's perfect. You guys good at the podcast thing. (laughs) In particular, uh, my specialty is premarital through early marriage. I also do at least one crisis couple that are 20, 25 years in and getting ready to call it quits. So I found over and over and over again, and now that I've been doing counseling for almost 30 years... The belief systems, what we inherently believe about ourselves, believe about our spouse, or believe about marriage itself, or our relationship, if you're not married yet, it does lead to certain expectations, and those beliefs and those expectations then lead to almost predetermined outcomes, Right. and you sabotage yourself more than you sabotage your mate. Uh, The classic example is someone coming to me who's very, very jealous of their, their husband or their boyfriend, and I ask the quick clarifying questions, well, has he ever cheated on you? No. Uh, is he over flirtatious? No. Has he given you any evidence or any proof whatsoever that he's going to cheat? No. Then why are you believing that? Right. Well, I've been cheated on before. Right. It's almost always an experiential base or a root base. Or my father cheated on my mom five times. Right. And so that belief then that all marriages then must have that element or a component or that sinfulness or that trauma. And therefore, I'm believing that my boyfriend who's done nothing to show that might as well go down that route. So I will create this expectation, which changes my behavior, my flow in my relationship. 
and I'm jealous and I'm controlling. And he's starting to push me away because he's feeling throttled and she doesn't know why. Right. So that happens all the time. And so when I'm in the counseling session and I hear those kind of things, I call it attacking, but it's assertively challenging those distorted beliefs and helping them analyze and determine where are they coming from so we can kind of break them down and reverse engineer. Right. Where is this coming from? It's irrational, but it feels very real to the client. And that feeling can be so strong. And then as you were saying, then their behavior changes such that they actually create a much more likely environment for the cheating to happen, which is, right? And so the very thing they fear the most, they are inadvertently creating the likelihood that it's going to happen much more likely than it would have been if they didn't have that belief in the first place. I I, I talk about the language. They're manifesting the preconceived fear. Yes. And then creating that tension and that, that mistrust and disrespect within the relationship, which will then create the instability you're talking about. And often, as I mentioned earlier, it's coming from some type of past trauma or past hurt that hasn't been healed yet or even maybe completely identified in their soul. Uh, So there's many aha moments Mm -hmm. in my sessions. I'm not saying my sessions are so much more special than anybody else's, (laughs) but there's lots of aha moments. I had two of them last night, so I'm fresh off some pretty good stuff. But aha moments where they also recognize that's not true. Right. It's not true about my boyfriend or my husband or my spouse-to-be. It's not true about me. And then we have to spend the work. I, I don't like to live in the past much at all, but we do mm-hmm. need to find where those roots are. Yep. Talk through them, denounce them. Maybe teach them some language of gestalt things about talking out loud and denouncing yeah. things. And then let's move forward then. We recognize that, where that root comes from. We just yanked it out. We're denouncing it. Now let's build the new roots of belief and hope and, and trust and then allow you to determine the behavior of your relationship. Right. So when you're talking with a couple, I can imagine they're sitting in front of you. Again, let's say the girl is having these jealousy issues and the guy's sitting there like, I didn't do anything. She's the one with the problem with her messed up beliefs. How do you well, then... Well, they don't often say that because they don't know it's a belief yet. But oh, they don't yeah. know yet. No, most of the time they don't. Session two, they might know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. Then how do you deal with that? What appears then, because now we've got the problem child in the couple... Yeah. relationship. And let me interrupt for one second. Please most do. of the time it comes in presenting, well, we have this issue. Most of the time they're, they're on the same page and they'll use the team language. I have this issue, but so-and-so, one of the spouses thinks this or is jealous about this. They often don't understand an underlying belief. Sometimes sure. they come and go, well, I've been cheated on five times. So I'm trying, I mean, they recognize that piece, but there still hasn't been an understanding of what beliefs and expectations that are coming out of that. And many times an easy thing to do as a therapist, which I probably did often early in my my life when I was only 26 or so, sometimes counseling couples who are 36, right. was let's try to behaviorally manage the situation. So in the case of Angie and I, with my personality compared to her, she's more reserved, laid back, quiet. I'm so extroverted and outgoing. So if there are situations in a social realm and then I'm just going out and talking to everybody and ignoring her, denying her, um, some time or energy in that kind of a setting or environment, it'd be easy to say, well, just don't do that anymore. Yeah. And so then we're telling one partner, well, be less than your true self. Oh, yeah. To make the other partner feel mm. okay. But you start catering in marriage and you start dancing in this to try to please them in a way that satisfies their soul and keeps them calm, but denies yourself, you're in trouble. You're starting going down. That leads to the resentments and the bitterness. And so right. often the couples expect me to modify mm, one of the partners. Sure. And I usually flip that or change that perspective completely and say, no, we actually need to embrace that side of him or her and manifest it more fully. 
Where's that coming from? And if it's the man or the woman saying, I need that control, there's an underlying belief under that still about what that is that about security? Right. Is it about trust? Is it about uh, possession or materials? There's so many variables there. Well, it's hard. That's why this will be the first of many because there are so many layers. And like you said, when you look at the belief or an example of, yeah, a, a husband and a wife go to a party and he's zipping around talking to everybody and then the spouse who's a little more quiet is going, well, you left me out by myself. Then it's like, what does it mean that you are by yourself? Yeah. And what, again, does that challenge your core of self? And, right. Does yeah. it mean that he doesn't love you? No, it just means he's being him, like yeah. you said. And and what does it mean that you were by yourself? Well, that's that's your personality. You, you prefer smaller conversations with one or two people. Yeah. Underneath that belief is a meaning. Absolutely. And that's where I think the power is. Mm-hmm. You can think of someone who goes through a breakup or a divorce. I love this example. The meaning can be, I'm a failure. I wasn't worth it. That's why he left me. Or guys are always going to do that, right? There could be, the meaning can be, I'm damaged goods. My life is over. This is the worst thing that ever happened. Or the same exact situation can happen and someone can go, the meaning is, I'm free. Yes. I'm free now to find a really solid fit for me. And I am forgiven because we make mistakes. So that doesn't have to be this scarlet letter on me for the rest of my life. So when we go to a therapist and we go to see a a counselor, that's why I love cognitive is because they can get you to that place of power because you're sitting here going, this is the thought and you're assuming it's true. hundred percent has to be true because I think it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we don't realize we have so much choice as to which thoughts we decide we're going to lock into and latch onto. And then even more powerful, go to the belief beneath it. And if it's because of something that happened in your family of origin, Let's realize the past is the past and it does not have to predict the future. And then that meaning, all these layers of understanding and clarity and power. Yeah. And once I get a couple to get to the meaning level, yeah, then I'll, then I'll help them even identify and code the meaning. Oh, I like that. So one of the couples I worked with last night, she, the, the woman recognized that failure was a, a message to her that if she didn't achieve a certain amount or perform a certain way in her family, she was considered a failure, even with straight A's, even with all kinds of awards, even with all kinds of productivity. And so now trying to break free, she was using the exact language you're using, wow. free from that personification of, of what it means to really fail or be free. And so she even used the word for 2020s for her is to learn how to be free and yeah. still be driven and still be the, her DNA and everything that's naturally inside of her to move forward in that direction and so once we find those words, and so the trigger word she di- discovered last night was this failure word, and then we redefine it. So often in scripture and other ways, failure is part of how we grow, how we learn, how we, how we yeah. make things better, and we call it redemption. Right. <laughs> we call it renewal. <laughs> right. And so we're, kinda, we're trying to recode her meaning words. Right. And then move her forward in that regard. So it's, again, just the way this, you and I have been talking about these issues, and they're all kind of coming together at once. It's so great connecting with all of you via the podcast, and I would love to meet you IRL. If your organization is looking for a speaker for your next event, check out my website, go to the speaking page, and see the content that I love to talk about. Just like on the podcast, in my speeches, I cover a wide array of topics grounded in psych research, of course. I'd love to meet you and share strategies for thriving in all realms of love and life with you and your organization. I cannot recommend Dr. Karen enough as your speaker at your event. 
As my keynote speaker, she completely set the tone of compassion, self-love, and authenticity that bled into everything we did for the rest of the event. She was incredibly prepared and present and went above and beyond when it came to sharing the event with her audience. Her knowledge, magnetic energy, and expertise while on stage is one thing. It will be everything you'd hope for and more for your audience. But her giving spirit and willingness to do more than simply show up when it's time to go on is icing on the cake. She walks her talk, and by the end of working with her, I was wishing she lived down the block from me for weekly meetups. For more information and to book me to speak at your next event, contact my producer, Tim May, tim at loveandlifemedia.com. And another piece that you hit on that I want to tackle and how I use it in counseling is once we identify that some of these belief systems are coming from our parents, which we all have, right? and our parents were wonderful, but we had a bunch of messages we had to work through as well, and they were working through from their parents, it all passes it down. Yeah. Once we recognize that some of these false beliefs or distorted beliefs are coming from family uh, systemics and unspoken rules, and I'll have the couples categorize them. So let's take four or five category headings. We're trying to code and define meaning now. Mm-hmm. I don't tell them that yet. And present that, and we build a little diagram of clusters. So for the one couple with the girl who had the failure issues, she performance. Yeah. She felt she always had to perform or she wasn't loved or wasn't valued. Right. And both partners do it. Even if only one's coming with the presenting issue, because you want them to be on the same page of walking through these. And almost inevitably, the one partner who maybe isn't the presenting person having some struggles does it also. And it helps join, especially if they're already married. It helps them join and recognize, oh, wow, these are messages I'm bringing in. Mm-hmm. Even if mine aren't presenting as chaotic or troublesome or disruptive. Right. Uh, And then once we get there, we label, I'd like to call it define better and label. We give meaning to them. And then we say, okay, these are the truths. These are the family history and this is what's happening. Now we take those and we create new ones. Mm -hmm. And we don't flush those all down the toilet. We don't say, oh, those are worthless. So it's helping couples analyze the past without going back and living in there for six weeks and eight weeks about, well, here's the 92 things my dad did wrong or the 46 things my mom did wrong. And no, we recognize it. We... Uh, code it, we give it meaning, and we even give it some definition, and we quickly move it. And I see couples all the time, even by digging into some of that hurt and pain, have some natural healing organically on their own without me having to point stuff out. Mm-hmm. They'll kind of go, well, this is how I'm doing it now. Oh, that's great. I'm still going to use that piece of me, but now I got this new piece, and it's all part of that. So when you bring them together and do some of the defining and that in and of itself, so therapeutic, Absolutely. because these are very oftentimes beneath the surface, like we talked about. They are oftentimes subconscious. We, as we've spoken to, we oftentimes believe that whatever our belief or our thoughts are, that that is just literally how the world mm-hmm. works. And of course, when we're inundated with our family of origin, that's all we know. And as we, especially because I do early marriage work and premarital, right? the closer we get then to being in a marriage ourselves... Things that we thought we'd put away or thought were gone mm-hmm. because the new environment is going to mimic what we grew up in and now we're going to be married. Mm-hmm. We, we just, they kind of come with us even if we don't plan on it. Right. And do you think that if they get married younger, they haven't had that space to, uh, yep, to sure. kind of bring these up, whether through their own therapy mm-hmm. or reading self-help books or listening to podcasts or just having 10 years as a single adult to do what you said 
look at these values and beliefs that we've basically adopted from our family of origin. We've assumed we're 100% accurate. When we have some of that adult time to go, wait a minute, you know, I get where my dad wanted me to be super driven, but I don't have to say that that is the end all be all of my identity. Yeah, if I don't have that, Success- I'm, I'm right. lost. So you have that space to kind of make those choices, as you said, which I, again, I love that. Just choosing which of these, because we don't want to just, just, just pitch everything that came from our family of origin. Because for most of us, we had some wonderful values and, and beliefs and we want to keep the good. Mom and dad, you know, they yeah. all said, keep the good and get rid of the bad, whatever we did. That's my mom's voice I'm doing right now. <laughs> whatever we did, keep the good, get rid of the bad. But we want... <laughs> but if we get married younger, we haven't had that time with our adult sensibilities to do some of that work. So we're doing it together. And that's what I see is interesting because... We seek people who are at about the same emotional yes. and uh, psychological maturity as we are. It may be that one person looks like they are, like you said, the presenting problem. They have all the issues. But when you start looking, well, you're bringing some beliefs to this marriage as well. Yeah, and I'm doing more pre-engagement work now. Oh, I like that. Which is really healthy. And so one of the couples I'm working with now, um, they came and said, we think we have a pretty good relationship but we know there's some weird stuff going on. We oh, just feel a little strange, a little different. Yeah. They're in the early 20s. Uh, and so we'd like to do some pre-engagement work to make a better decision about whether or not we should pursue marriage. That's awesome. So That's I've had three unusual. of those couples in the last year, and they've come to me. And I'm hoping to promote and grow that area of counseling because it even gives me more freedom yeah. than when they come to me already married, already got the date, already got the place saved, already got the parents all on board and excited. And that just inhibits us because we start worrying about everyone else involved in the scenario. And and as you know from your own relationship yeah. and what spurred your book and everything else, we get caught then in autopilot a little bit yeah. or, or in a default mode and say, well, I can just suck it up and get it done. And so this pre-engagement work is really, really healthy and, and beneficial whether you're in your 20s or your 40s. Yeah. But for these younger kids like you're talking about, and they are kids to me because I'm old <laughs> enough to be their parents for sure. When I know that they haven't had that life experience or haven't lived anywhere else besides home or all those kind of things, it is up to me as someone who does believe in some of the benefits and the health of early marriage, not for everybody, but some, to really work extra diligently to poke holes. And I think I do it in a pretty friendly way, but it's pretty assertive and it's pretty directive about these choices and always giving them ownership and not feeling trapped by the past. Uh, one of the, it'll be in my book someday that's half written that I can't get done because I got to get all my kids out of the house but, um, on marital therapy. It's called uh, Negotiating the Bonds of Love. And one of the things I teach couples that I really should patent or something someday, I don't know what you do with those, but make sure someone else either. doesn't cheat it. Okay. So anyone listening, please don't steal this. <laughs> it's called Instant Need Clarification, Inc. Mm. So to learn how to say what you really need, which always comes from belief, yeah. or always comes from systemic anyway, even if you're not aware. Mm-hmm. And whether this is sex, whether this is food, or whether this is a date, or whether this is affection, or communication, or you need a phone call at night before you go to bed, or a certain right. text. We all have all these expectations and these unfulfilled things that we kind of swallow and are afraid to share. And the quicker I can teach these couples how to get those out, the more likely they're going to make a more appropriate decision about hey, we get along well and we communicate pretty well and we love each other, but maybe we're not the best match. Yeah. So in the past, you know, I've done probably 140 couples for premarital work. And now, like I said, just three for pre-engagement. And I've only had like three couples, I think, kind of called off in the midst of our premarital work. And I was glad 
And it wasn't because I said, hey, listen, I don't think you guys should be married. They were coming to that understanding themselves yeah. as we dove into the deeper levels and the meanings of the things. So uh, a couple that came all the way from Indiana to see me last year because they were recommended by some Judson grads that had done uh, pre-engagement and premarital work with me. And then I officiated their wedding and they're doing great. And they said, man, he really helped us get through some of these things that we didn't even know were there. Right. So this couple drove all the way from South Bend to come see me and one two-hour session, they called it off. And it was wonderful. Yeah, and it is. someone like you and I have been doing this kind of stuff a long time now. I could see it pretty quickly. Yeah. Two firstborns, really different styles of leading and directions they wanted to go as far as living and work and church. I mean, you name every category, it was different. But they had believed they were supposed to get married mm-hmm. because of how they had things started and and family and friends. And once we dove into any of these expectations, labeled a few things out, got some things out on paper and, and wrote through it. I got a text from the the guy uh, three, four weeks later and said, we won't be coming back for our next session because <laughs> we're done, but we're great. He said, we're yeah. great. We're, we both feel good about it. And we didn't yell and scream. It's just like, you know what? I don't yeah. think this is going to be, they could have gotten married and they probably could have made it work, but you and, I want, you and I want the best right. marriage. We want the absolute perfect complimentary as much as possible. Right. You know, I, I had a podcast episode called Relationships Shouldn't Be All That Hard. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, because there's a lot of messages in our culture, the old ball and chain and a lot of, well, you know, relationships take work and I don't think they should take that much work. Yeah, I think it's the way we define work. Yeah, work to meet each other's needs to the extent that we can. But like you spoke to earlier in this episode, not to change who I am to meet my partner's needs. That's not fair to me. And it's not a fair expectation. You can't be fulfilled that way. No, no one can fulfill me but God and me. It's not Dan's job. Never, ever, ever. As wonderful as he is, as giving as he is, as kind as he is, it is not his job. It's impossible. And it's an unfair burden to place on your spouse to expect them to make you happy. But what happens is, especially I think when you're younger mm. and you you know you've grown up watching Disney princess movies, that when my Prince Charming comes, all my needs I'll feel fulfilled in every realm of life, and, and everything will be perfect. And so it's funny after that episode, I had a, a follower DM me and say, "Yeah, I listened to that episode and I broke up with my boyfriend the next day." Way to go, sister! I know. <laughs> and I was like, "That's how I felt." I said, yeah. "I'm really happy?" Question mark. I hope yeah. that didn't. Uh, she obviously understood where I was coming from. But yeah, your work really honestly should be, and I do worry that oftentimes premarital counseling doesn't really have the exit ramp. It doesn't. It really doesn't. They're all about how are we going to budget and how are we going to handle holidays, and those are all important things to talk about. most premarital therapists are pastors, which is wonderful, but they're not trained in counseling. And what I bring to it that I think is very unique is my, my foundation, as you know, is a crisis therapist. Right. And so I was trained to see things very, very quickly, call them out, and move on them. And so I warn students in particular who are 21 and in love and happy. Yeah. And I said, I'm going to push you guys to the points of consternation where you have to decide, wow, we're either going to move through this and grow and understand each other, or this is going to be an issue that maybe is not going to be best. So I warn couples a lot that you're not going to come in here and just see me give you flowery affirmations, <laughs> right. encouragement. I will, when I see good stuff, I'll certainly encourage and say, this is one of those foundation areas to build on. But here's some major danger areas, and here's even some that could decide or determine whether or not you get married or not. Well, here's the thing. They're going to hit that. Automatically, someday. Someday. So why not have you push it, have them hit it early in the safe counseling environment with a professional, as opposed to hitting it seven years on with two kids in tow? And what often happens, Karen, with my younger couples 
is I'm pushing them and they're rallying up to kind of meet that push, but I'll see one of them, their nonverbals aren't matching their verbals. Mm. Especially if the other spouse is like, oh yeah, I get it now and I'm gonna 100% more committed than ever now. And the other one's like, yeah. <laughs> no, they don't, they're smiling, but the incongruence of the rest of their body, often they'll retreat a little bit. Yeah. Or their hands will all of a sudden go under their legs or something. And then almost inevitably, I'll get a follow-up call or follow-up text. Hey, that was a great session last night, but now I have some other questions I'd like to talk to you more individually. And absolutely. Yeah. First thing I make them do is though, you have to tell your spouse to be first that you want to come talk to me about something individually. They need to know and understand so that you're not going around the issue to try to get some help or coaching because if you're planning on getting married, we're on the same page now here no matter <laughs> right. what. You got to tell them up front. Dan invented it because I kept burning my tongue on my black coffee. And then we realized the perfecter could do so much more. It's the only way to brew coffee or tea and then immediately ice it for iced coffee or iced tea without watering down the flavor. It also brings bourbon to a perfect chill, again, without diluting it or bruising the flavor notes. But my favorite application, wine. The Perfector takes your room temperature red to the recommended low 60s in just 20 seconds. And as a bonus, the Perfector aerates your vintage as well. Check out all the Perfector's applications, including bringing white wine to its most flavorful temperature at drinkperfection.com. Love and Life listeners can use promo code PODCAST at checkout for 20% off your Perfector. I've just been posting a lot about standards because I had a question come in and I did a little IGTV about um, a woman was in a long distance relationship and there were just a lot of things that she was <clears throat> disappointed with. And to my mind, they were deal breakers, all of them, every last one of them, including him getting drunk and crashing his car, spent the night in jail and couldn't drive to uh, see her that weekend the way he was supposed to. So those kinds of things. And But I know that some of my listeners feel... There's going to be some work. So how much work is too much work? Mm -hmm. What work can be organically in growth and develop? What work is causing you to deny self? Similar to what we talked about with the previous example. Right. Oh, I like that. And so, yes, relationships are work. Someone like me likes that competitive drive to be a good husband. And my wife's nickname is Bulldog because she just calls stuff out on me <laughs> instantly. Whether she's right or wrong, she just calls them out. Not afraid. And we like that. For us, that works. Yeah. But that's not the best style for everybody by any means. Yeah. But I do teach couples, and I tell them early on, and that, that first session usually is really perspective blowing. Yeah. Because I tell them, I'm going to teach you how to really tell each other what you don't like, what things really hurt, and, and how love is so much more than just we love to hang out or make out or whatever else. It's so much deeper and wider, and that sexual intimacy is only one layer of like 14 intimacies, and you need about seven or eight of those to be really good. I don't care how good your sex is. If you don't have seven or eight of those intimacy levels... Communication intimacy, faith intimacy, serving intimacy, conflict intimacy, family intimacy, recreational. And if you don't have those other ones there balanced somewhere, the sex can be absolutely amazing. You'll still be unfulfilled, be frustrated, and those other standards will be kind of offset. So I love the standard language. Get back to what you're talking about there. Yeah. And, and that's part of that work of defining. And I have a whole sheet of standards we walk through. And a whole sheet, I, I balance these exercises for like, how well do you know your spouse? You have to name their favorite stuff, and you have to mm -hmm. name what shows they like, and what movies, and what's the name of their school. So we do kind of those fun, innocent ones, and then we quickly pull it back with what are the things that are non-negotiables for you? So they yeah. have to evaluate their values and rank them. And there's always a, what? You value that? Or you rank that? Because yeah. how often do we sit down and actually do that kind of work? Right. 
find out all these little nuances in a fun, innocent, friendly way, then I can drive them into, well, what kind of standard are you going to create? Mm-hmm. Because you have standards that you don't even know or expectations that you don't even know that they're kind of hidden behind us and we bring them forward. And, right. And I'll coach couples, even have your own code names or even your own pet names for certain things about yourself. That's why we do the conflict stuff. You remember from class, I taught that in class when, <laughs> yeah. back 30 years ago when you were in my class. Those conflict animals that, you know, Angie's a shark. We all know that. If we knew the shark, right. she, she's a shark. I'm a fox. I manipulate in conflict. She's a hammerhead. <laughs> she just goes at you. Well, how does that then affect us in all the other areas? Because when it comes to finances, then Angie's going to be a shark. I'm going to be a fox. When it comes right. to sex, Angie's going to be a shark. It doesn't matter what the issue is. We recognize then create new standards about how do we operate within those so we're not hurting each other with instant need clarification, walk through it. To me, that's fun. Some might say, oh, that's just a lot of work. No, that's understanding each other. Yeah. First Peter 3 talks about we need to know our spouse in an understanding way. And the Greek there means full, undeniable heart, mind, soul knowledge of each other to really recognize and, and know who our spouse is. And that takes time to do. It doesn't have to be work, but it takes time and focus, concentration, and energy. Scriptures talk a lot about we aren't supposed to please man. We're supposed to please God. And that means spouse as well. Man being a general sense of right. humans, not just men themselves. It's normally the more powerful personality in the marriage, whether it's a guy or a girl. Most often the firstborns, if they're married to someone who's not a firstborn, they have a certain way and they're used to kind of just kind of moving in that direction. And the spouse-to-be or the spouse often is catering and pleasing without even knowing it. Right. They just don't want to rock that boat or get that firstborn off their, off their mode. And a lot of those right. firstborn characteristics are wonderful and they're great for direction and movement. But they can often be done accidentally dragging that spouse with them. Well, and sometimes that other spouse enjoys that because if they don't want to be the leader, they're enjoying... Not having to be. And not make decisions. Right. Not, yeah. And so that kind of, that's codependency a little bit, which... And there's codependency in every marriage, and some of it can be even healthy. That's another topic. But if we live in a way, then again, that is not true to self, or not authentic to self, or we're burying self, and then actually pleasing with resentment... Right. Then that builds and builds and builds, and all of a sudden there's blow-ups. So it makes me think of this tension, and I talk about this a lot on my Instagram. I love the idea of two people who are very independent, like I said, fulfilled within themselves. They know it's their job to make themselves happy, and then they choose to partner hand in hand throughout life, enhancing each other's life, but not needing each other, wanting each other, but not needing each other. But then you talk about codependency, which we might need to break that down because that's a kind of pop psych term that gets thrown around a lot. And and really the strictest definition of codependency comes from the addictions literature. Mm -hmm. And that would be something where my husband's an alcoholic. And as much as I say, I want him to get healthy, I don't because really I need him to be sick so that I can feel better about myself and my role as the caretaker. So it's really, and what happens is in those situations when he, when he makes efforts to get healthy and to get clean, I'm going to unwittingly sabotage his efforts to lose his addiction. So yep. that's the most strict and pathological. I'm certainly not talking about that. I knew you weren't. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to make sure we clarified no, that. Good. I'm talking more about co-interdependence. Yeah. Independently, but interdependently protect each other or complement each other in ways that keeps fullness of functioning and happiness. It's not bad in a marriage to be happy. We can't spend our marriage trying to make the other person happy. But when you understand certain rhythms, uh, just like dad always warming mom's car up for. Yeah. Right, he wasn't oh, the most yeah. romantic guy in the world, but he knew certain things that would benefit her and bless her and help her. 
Uh, and so that's that's one of those co-interdependence. And yeah, yeah. Certainly not enabling someone to be dysfunctional, right. rude, abusive. Yeah. So thank you for calling that out to make sure our listeners... Yeah, I wasn't trying to check you here. No, it's good though. I just know that sometimes some of those terms get a little bit used in ways that they make sense on the one hand, but you want to make sure that there's clarity there. Yeah, the crisis couples that come to me, normally through church referrals where pastors are like, this is way beyond me. We know Elliot likes this stuff. He's a little bit weird. And I get the calls for those. Those are often knee-deep, if not waist-deep, in the codependency you're talking about. Right. Real extreme levels for a decade or more. And really, those have to be miracle transformations, in my opinion. Yeah. I've been a part of some of them, and I'm thrilled that they worked. But I couldn't even look at myself and go, oh, this was my great intervention piece here. It's just trying to help them really kind of break down all those walls. And it's really painful. And often, they need to be separated. Yeah. In order, even if there's kids, they need to be separated from each other in order to kind of refine personal identity that's been so warped and distorted. And and yeah, that's a whole other style of marital counseling than, of course, the premarital or early marital stuff. Yeah. And you've got the crisis people who are coming, and they, are, they could be 25 years into just really dysfunctional patterns. Yeah. I give you a lot of credit. That's hard. <laughs> that's hard. Because, I mean, honestly, sometimes I think I would just be like, you know what? No. <laughs> this started out bad. It's been bad, and it's still bad, and it's going to get worse. This won't surprise you, but in that first session. So they've normally been referred to me. I've called them or taught them briefly, but I don't give them a lot over the phone. I want to do it in person. Right. I, I got to be able to read body and language and spirit and heart. And often I will start that session with, why don't we just get divorced? Yeah. It's the elephant in the room anyway. Right. And most of the time, one of the partners has already pretty much made up their mind. And so I got to call that out quickly. Yeah. And then get a read on who says what or why. And, and sometimes I, I even try to bless them and help them know divorce isn't necessarily wrong here. Right? There might be so many... I've usually heard from the pastor some pretty sure. wild, crazy stuff that's gone on. And often that includes abuses. And uh, work through trauma recovery, it's so hard to do that within the context of a frail marriage anyway. Right. But so, yeah, your gut instinct there about, you know what, folks, is probably... <laughs> I, I do that in a very gracious pastoral manner because they almost have to feel the freedom to do that right. in order to have the freedom to work if they decide to re-enter in with all the risk and right. all the fear and all the potential to get really, really hurt again. Which all goes back to the beliefs. Yeah. And so once I hear, if they say, you know, I'm ready to kind of man up into this, woman up into this, Mm -hmm. and I'll tell them, I will commit to walk through this with you if I know you're 100% committed to really giving this a shot of redemption and restoration. If you're just appeasing something so that when you go to your lawyer, you can tell the judge, hey, I put some sessions in, I don't want any part of it. Mm It doesn't matter if you're going to pay me well or not. I don't want any piece of that. If you want the opportunity for a possible miracle, I'm willing to jump in and see if we can do it together. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm owning it more than you're owning it, then I'm going to get out. And there's usually affairs involved and abuses, and Ugh. it's usually such deep-level stuff. It, I, that's why I can only do one crisis couple at a time. I believe it. And they usually six to nine months. And a lot of couples, this won't surprise you, they get to a level of functionality that's yeah. now healthier, and they stop. Yeah, they're like, that's enough. That's enough. Because the work that's necessary to then go get to really a healthy, really thriving marriage they're just not capable or don't feel they can invest that time and energy. So it, sometimes it's disappointing, even though they stabilized yeah. and stay married. Cause I know we did all the really, really yeah. hard stuff and now we can't spit and polish. It just, yeah, yeah. Now, now we can't get to the real fun stuff to really, right. To really navigate. enjoy each other. And like you said, thrive with each other. And that's why what you do is on that end. And what I do is 
for my single ladies, it's like, keep those standards high now yes. so that you'll carry those high <clears throat> standards into your marriage. You've got this great life. You know, you're doing the hard work now. So no, it's going to pay off. You're not going to be tolerating something that's subpar because you've already shown yourself you're strong enough to go it alone. And believe that you are worthy yes. of a wonderful man or a wonderful woman for your marriage someday. You are worthy of that. And to believe in yourself enough to say, no, I'm not going to accept something that doesn't fit well. That's not high value, high excellence, high love, high... How do we convince ourselves we're worthy when we don't really believe we are? <laughs> that That's very <laughs> difficult. And often I'll do separate work. If it's obvious that one member of the couple really has significant self-worth issues and confidence issues, I'll ask to do some separate individual. Sometimes I'll ask the spouse just to be there and not say a word, which is really interesting. Yeah, I bet. So they can understand in here too. So I don't help this transformational stuff and they don't get to be part of it other than a report. Right. Some spouses want to, some don't. I, yeah. I, I'm okay with it. I give them freedom to decide. But uh, often I will make them write out on a piece of paper, not a computer, not send it to me later, right there off the cuff, write down everything they believe about themselves, good and bad. I'll sometimes categorize it if they really struggle. you know. And then I'll, sometimes if they, with a lot of kids who've grown up in the church and grown up in the faith, they know their Jesus language. Yeah but they don't know their own language. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I'll say, okay, tell me what the Bible says about you too. So I'll help them because then they can be more positive. Yeah. And so then I'm going, okay, you wrote those things and you believe Jesus meant them and said them and they're true, but you don't own them. You know they're true, but you believe they're true even no. about your spouse, but you don't own them yourself. And so often when they're writing, it's really fascinating, Karen. I really should video some of this stuff, but then you got to get permissions and all this stuff. Yeah. But often when they're writing, they'll be writing down, all of a sudden they stop. Mm. They wrote something and it just drilled a hole right through them. And sometimes spontaneous weeping will happen. Sometimes, I believe it. Uh, and then if, if they're willing, and we can kind of attack that work right there, and I know enough scripture now of my life, I can bring them the truths of God's word and how much he loves them, how crazy he is about them, and how they can have the peace and the joy and the love and all those things. Uh, it can be one of those transformational moments where they kind of, for the first time, maybe feel fully loved by the Lord first, right? and then try to love themselves. Because I tell them, you're not going to be able to love your future spouse if you don't love yourself at all. I'm not saying you can't be aware of some of your weaknesses or flaws. Certainly, I have plenty. I'm aware of those. But I still felt that love of God enough that I knew I could love Angie well, even as I was a boy trying to learn how to be a man. Right. I knew I could love her well. I knew how to love. And, and you don't know how to love if you don't feel that love or have accepted that love. And so you're totally right. When someone in the relationship, one or the other, and even for those who aren't dating anybody right now, if you haven't learned to really love yourself at all or, or believe in yourself at all, you're going to have a really hard time being a great maid, even if you find some wonderful guy or girl down your road. So I think the, the work is probably individual. Yeah. If some of your listeners out there saying, I just don't know yeah. if I'm worthy or if I have love, then really define a good counselor, yeah. a good pastor, or, or a really, really good friend who's really trustworthy so you can get some of this deep stuff out and, and maybe do those exercises I'm talking about. Write down the things that you I know are true that. about yourself and make sure they're positive. I, I often have to tell students, I need seven of each. I'm not going to let you give me 13 negatives mm -hmm. and two positives. I'm going to force your hand. Give me seven of each. You can put the seven things you believe about yourself that are awful, but I want to see the seven. And if I've been with them three or four sessions, I'd already, I've already seen enough that I can give them two or three if they're stuck. Right. Because my concern too is until we know that we deserve, like you said, that we love ourselves enough to know that we deserve to be treated wonderfully, to be cherished, and to have a high, thriving marriage, the people we're going to attract are going to sense that we don't feel that good about ourselves, and they're going to exploit that. Absolutely, yeah. And that's what scares me, too. Yeah. Creates those power dynamics right. of abuse, even if they're... Right. 
Yeah, and you know this because you're a much better clinician in your research than I am. I'm such more of a pragmatic, just go on the field running. I like to read stuff too, but you have a natural research heart, and so you can kind of go in there in your skill set. But I know the research talks about this, so maybe you can back it if you haven't. <laughs> okay. But part of the reason in my counseling, I'm forcing them to write, and I'm forcing them to do exercises, sometimes right on the cuff, and we're drawing diagrams because the brain has parts that are locked up. And if you're processing on multi-sensory levels at once, that's when all of a sudden you'll see an emotional breakout come. They had no idea it was coming. So I've sometimes been asking yes. people to define meaning or give language to the coding, as I call it, and they're totally fine. They might have been happy and kind of flirtatious. Twinkie's in the room always, my therapy dog. Maybe <laughs> they're having fun with Twinkie and something. All of a sudden they're talking and all of a sudden work comes out. Whoosh! Here comes the emotion. They had no idea it was coming. Yeah. It unlocks part because they've been writing because so that's why I meant the research part. I know I, you know there's I well you know that rapid eye movement therapy. I mean we're, we're trauma just, part yeah yeah we're just at the tip of the iceberg. EMDR of, I think it is or yeah EMDR. And so we're just at the beginning of realizing the connection between just a physical movement and now how that could release something neurologically on an emotional level. Yeah, so, and if I have much more laid back, introverted, reserved, kind of careful people, nothing wrong with that. It's not my style, obviously. So sometimes I will give them assignments, allow them to do it in a safer environment than in front of me, this energetic, hyper-driven guy, which I know sometimes can be intimidating or hard for someone to open up. So I do try to push myself back a little bit and try to downshift a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want listeners to think like I'm just like pounding on people in a session to get them to Maybe they need it. (laughs) Sometimes they do. I'm kidding. But that's the benefit of being a private therapist on the side, allowing people to come to me. So I already have that advantage. If they're coming to me, they've already heard about my style or understand I've had success with others. And so that gives me that freedom to... Well, that's another tension between all therapists want to meet the client where they are. And that part of that is just their emotional reactivity and their responses. Can I give you a funny thought about that? Because I totally agree with that. (laughs) But I always tell them if in the language or when I'm teaching here at Judson, I'll talk about... You want to meet them where they are, but if they wanted to stay where they are, they wouldn't be there. Good point. Yeah. So don't, I have nothing wrong with long-term counseling, although, you know, I'm a big favor of solution folks, let's get after it yeah. and go. But if they're no different in a year, <laughs> get, get them to a different counselor. Yeah. You met them get, where they are and you stayed and you there stayed with, with them. them. Yeah, no, and, no. And it's great to have friendships and, and I think good counseling often involves a genuine enjoyment in each other. Yeah. But in that process... If they're not changing every single session with me, I want them to go find somebody else. Yeah. That might sound ridiculous. No, I think but. that's I think that's very ethical because again, it's the whole I'll meet you where you are to a degree in terms of recognizing kind of what you but I also have to be me. And you came to me because I have some solutions that yeah. I know work. So sometimes part of the therapeutic process is helping them dig into and, and come to a place that maybe they didn't even believe was possible for them. And I don't want to I don't want to come off arrogant to your listeners because I learn something from every single couple I work with. So I don't I don't predetermine as you know my personality. I do not predetermine where I'm going with every couple. I know the basic template I use for a crisis couple. I know the basic template I use for pre-engagement or engagement early marriage. But always there's surprises. Yeah. Organic natural surprises and I trust my instinct as an experienced therapist and the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. And all of a sudden, if I see something or hear something that all of a sudden clicks, those mainly those cognitive distortions. If something comes out, I'm like, right. hold it. Yeah. 
I, I I think it's wait a minute. That's one of your phrases. Wait a minute. <laughs> oh if, yeah, yeah, that's if, true. If I if I'm, I've used that language, if I say so, wait a minute. You said something that is ridiculously untrue, and right. your spouse heard it and didn't even conf- confront it or, or challenge it. Right. And usually, if the guy is like, oh oh yeah, <laughs> he's like, oh yeah, I heard it too. <laughs> but we get so used to it that right these faulty normal. beliefs. So. I learn every session, so that helps me be better. I, I every every single couple that comes to me, I go, "Oh, I'm going to be a better therapist next time too," because mm-hmm. now I'm learning something new. And so I don't want to act like I oh I got some. You didn't sound like system. that. I just want to make sure because everyone's different. I have the system that I know works and that I'm going to help, but I do not iron fist it. And so it's it's fun. It makes it more exciting for me to to be open and flexible, and yet be pretty driven and directive at the same time. Yeah. Let's connect on social. I'm most active on Instagram at Dr. Karen, that's D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. On Twitter, I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson. Live tweet with me when I watch my favorite shows, Will and Grace, my brand new fave, God Friended Me, and of course, all shows Bachelor Nation. Join me on Facebook where I'm stepping up my Facebook Live game. I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. I believe, we want to talk about beliefs, I believe I'm a good therapist, and I believe I can help them in transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that belief and that expectation and my desired outcome for them to be thriving, joyful, wonderful human being with a great thriving marriage does help direct in those goals. And what one of the husbands said just last week in one of the sessions, it was so profound. He said, I believe in your belief of us. And I believe we're going to get there. I just don't 100% believe it yet myself, but I can see it through you. And I thought that was really cool. And it was a really profound statement. That is. And he's the more laid back partner and he's the more quiet uh, partner, but he was catching it. And part of what I'm trying to help him teach to do is he's got a pretty strong demonstrative woman and he's still trying to please all the time. Mm. I'm like, brother, if you're going to lead in any capacity, even with your own personality, you don't have to lead so directively or anything, but, and learn how to shepherd. That's the phrase the, the church uses for shepherding your spouse and your children, um, you're going to have to start speaking up. You're going to have to be truthful and aligned in your heart, mind, body, and soul to be able to lead even in the pain or through the pain that your spouse is going through or you're bringing or you're creating. Uh, and and that, that's some challenging work. It's challenging, especially because she may say, I want him to take more leadership role, but then when he starts doing it, oh, she, she may... <laughs> all over him. Right. She may really resent it because yeah. that's not the dynamic that they signed up for. And they're used to and that they're comfortable in, you're having to break those down. In crisis counseling, so sometimes that's the crisis couples economy, sometimes that's getting actually the pre-engaged or premarital into a crisis so that you have to wrestle and decide and move because you get caught in these little patterns and you think, oh, la la land, we'll just get married and everything will be great. And I'm like, no, you don't even understand each other at all yet. So within that crisis mindset, as a therapist, my job is to create that vision or that belief for them ahead of time. And I'll carry it for a while first. Mm Mm-hmm. Here's what I see. Here's the belief. Here's the vision. Here's what God's words say. I lay that always out for them. Uh, and then I basically keep handing it back, keep mm-hmm. handing it back and, and helping them to understand it and own it for themselves. I like that. I think that's a beautiful picture of what therapy can be is that you see the potential and know as you can, as you continue to see the couple and recognize their buy-in and if they have enough buy-in and if they seem motivated enough, then you kind of hold up for them. I see you guys for who you are. I see you for who you want to be as a couple. And like your client said, 
I see it too. I don't know if I believe it yet, but you keep believing it for us. Yeah, That's great. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, part of the reason I got out of clinical counseling, because I didn't have the freedoms to be so directive and so vocal about my faith and my belief in the spirit transformation and things like that. But I'm, I don't want any of our listeners who are therapists to hear me saying that they're doing it wrong or that they don't have a great love for their clients and desire to do the same thing. But I do have more freedoms yeah. in my role and with my pastor card that, that does alter counseling a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's much mm-hmm. more directive than some of our colleagues can do in their settings. Well, it comes down to questions I get a lot about how do you maintain hope How do you stay positive when you're on your 15th breakup this year? And I want my message to be my podcast, my my posts, everything I want it to be accessible to anyone who's looking for support. That being said, the only thing that kept me hopeful and positive was God. Mm -hmm. Because I had to go, okay, he knows better. He's got a plan for me. I don't know why in the world I'm 40 years old and still getting mm-hmm. brokenhearted and yeah. more heartbreak than really felt fair. Absolutely. <laughs> For, you know, you look at the world, you're like, people are starving, so I'm not starving. So let me keep it in perspective here. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Let's keep it in perspective, but in the realm of love. And, and as you wrote about, you were doing nothing wrong. I didn't think so. <laughs> no. There was maybe little patterns here and there yeah. that were leading to certain things, but you weren't like consciously making willful, stupid decisions. Right. That's what I mean by doing nothing wrong. Yeah, and no. You're like, okay, I'm going to date six alcoholics. Right. The next one's really going to stop drinking. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, that, that wasn't happening. So, but getting back to the freedom piece, I I do in doses that I hope that people can receive and understand my heart. That if, you know, if someone's an atheist out there, I hope you can still get something from our conversation. That being said, I can't not share that my strength and what kept me happy, hopeful, and positive until I met Dan was God. Absolutely. That would also feel like I was being disingenuous with my listeners, keeping from them the most powerful resource. And that's a big part of our family root. And, you know, we all have gone through it differently in our family. For the listeners, I was the rebel who chose to be willful and do my own thing for many, many years. So I recognize all sides of that that equation and that conversation. But um, because of my style and what I do in my role as a pastor therapist, I appreciate your openness and allowing me to share that so forthrightly with your with your audience and for them to know too that that's part of your big faith in your ministry as well is that we're not just trying to give positive words to make their life better. We want to make their eternity better. We want yeah. them to understand their need for a savior and the opportunity to join us, if you will, in this kingdom work. Yeah. Well, I love that note to wrap things up. However, I'm looking at my piece of paper and there were many other things we were supposed to discuss. So Elliot, thank you so much for coming on the program. And As we said, teaser, this will be the first of many conversations on relationships and marriage and... And siblings. We're going to do the uh, birth order. I know. We've got to get Warren in here too. Ooh, that'd be fun. And we didn't do any family system stuff. You were talking about a client that had a really profound, powerful family systems individuation, which my listeners know is the topic of my dissertation. So, okay. So much more to come. And uh, But thanks again so much for your time today. Yes, thanks for having me. I've enjoyed myself. Okay, great. (laughs) The love and life hack for this week is beliefs affect everything, but we can empower ourselves and make changes by identifying those beliefs, challenging them, and choosing the ones that serve us in love and life. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. 
This is Dr. Karen Anderson April. As always, thanks so much for joining us this week. A special thank you for all of you who've subscribed to the podcast and have rated and reviewed episodes and are sharing episodes with your friends. I am so grateful for all you do to help others find the show. It means so much. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.